We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone. Good morning. Welcome in to the Guilty as Charged podcast. Uh, really excited to do this live Q&A. Uh, as you can see, I'm repping my University of Utah today. We play University of Arizona in a scrimmage uh, in a couple hours. Uh, going to be a lot of fun. The scrimmage because Arizona is terrible. Um, so it's going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, excited for that one. Tyler and Alex are joining me today. Alex, how are you doing and uh, how is Rutgers doing? I don't care about Rutgers anymore. It's November. We're way past that. They they already got their three wins. It's fine. Uh, also, I hope Arizona wins just because you said that, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, Arizona had their first win in like 24, like 26 months, I think it was. Last mm-hmm. week against a Cal team that was dealing with a COVID outbreak that uh, cost them 18 starters. So uh, Arizona's bad. Uh, so mm-hmm. if Utah loses today, I... <laughs> I would be shocked, like completely and utterly shocked. Uh, Tyler, how are you doing, man? I'm suddenly more intrigued about this game, and I'm going to pay attention to see if you guys lose. Well, yeah, I'm not going to watch Pac-12 football. That just that sounds like a train wreck. Wow. <laughs> Says the fan of Rutgers. <laughs> oh, well, we'll see about the Pac-12. <laughs> well, Utah's going to beat Oregon at least once, so Oregon's not going to get in either. Um. <laughs> I think it's going to happen. I think Utah has a good chance of beating them twice. Anyways, this is a Chargers podcast. We'll keep it Chargers focused from here on out. Um, as always, we're here to do a Q&A. We've got a great question from Sean already loaded. We've got a good Patreon question as well. Uh, we wanted to start, however, by doing some midseason awards. We uh, did not get the chance to do that leading into uh, this week. Obviously, really busy with uh, you know the the actual game and the Kenneth Murray stuff and the Odell Beckham stuff. So it's been, uh, been a busy week over here. So we are going to do, uh, let me make sure I get this right. We're going to do the team MVP, the offensive player of the year, defensive player of the year, the most improved, most disappointing, the biggest surprise, best position coach and best play. So we'll run through it pretty quickly. Um, Feel free to comment your choices as well. Uh, we'll start with Team MVP. Uh, I think I know where all of us are going to go with this one. 
Um, but Alex, I'll let you start uh, first. Who is your MVP of the first half of the season? Um, I mean, it's pretty obvious. You got to go with Chris Harris here, right? Um, you know, Strap, <laughs> Strap's really been putting on a show, lockdown coverage, all that. So, uh, no, it's, it's just offensive, not offensive. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think it's pretty obvious that Justin Herbert, uh, been leading yeah. the team, all that improved over last year. Simple. Yeah, it's Justin Herbert. It's an easy one. And it's always probably going to go to the quarterback. And if it doesn't go to the quarterback, you got either a big issue or a 4,000-yard season from your running back. But, yeah, it's Herbert. He deserves it. Yeah, unless you're uh, unless you're the Tennessee Titans or, <laughs> you know, I think you could probably make an argument for, like, Aaron Donald on the Rams. Um, yeah. You know, if, if your quarterback's not your team MVP, you're probably – the Browns is another one probably goes to Miles Garrett. Mm, so, yeah. Um, yeah, it, it's Justin Herbert. I think the way that he has played in six of the eight games have just been, you know, <laughs> Very, very, you know, top tier stuff. You know, we uh, dubbed him an MVP candidate after the Browns game. I think, you know, he's got some ground to make up now, especially with, you know, the Rams getting Odell. And I'm sure everybody's going to be loving Matthew Stafford when they continue to, you know, ascend some things. But uh, Justin Herbert is definitely the MVP of the team. All right, let's get to Offensive Player of the Year. I think this is where we'll get uh, a little bit different answers so my offensive player of the year i'll go first is going to be Corey lindsley um yeah i flipped flopped and back and forth with him and austin eckler for this specific award but i think that lindsley has just meant so much to this team and and handling the protections and um you know whoa the browns waved andrew billings i did not uh see that that alignment he's a defensive tackle he's a, a run stuffing defensive tackle so well, that's interesting. Uh, <laughs> Google, Google search. Yeah, that is interesting. I did not notice that. Did that happen today, Arjun? Because I missed out. Hmm. Anyways, so as I was saying, uh, my vote for offensive player of the year is Corey Lindsay. I think he's been, uh, you know, still elite form. Uh, Tyler pointed out that uh, he essentially is allowing like one sack per 1,000 snaps or whatever the case is. Um, just been a, a fantastic player, fantastic addition. Uh, and I think he's really made things easier for the most part on Justin Herbert, too. So uh, Corey Lindsay is my vote for Offensive Player of the Year. Shocker. <laughs> yeah, if he goes for a couple more games without allowing a sack, it'll be one sack and a thousand pass blocking snaps. I mean, that's unbelievable. I don't even understand how that's possible, but it's about to be in a couple of games. That's a good pick for sure. I'm going to go with Austin Eckler, who is not the team MVP, but I think he's been their most consistent best offensive player on the team, at least in terms of the skill positions or quarterbacks. Um, It's not the, I mean, there's been a couple of drops here and there, and that's definitely uncharacteristic for him. Um, But as a rusher, as a guy who breaks tackles, as an efficient guy in all phases of the game, he's just been incredible. And I was watching Joey Bosa snaps last night, just to to, uh, chart his double teams, triple teams. And every once in a while, I would just kind of skip through, and it would come up on an Austin Eckler play. And I just watch it. And every single time, I'm almost positive. It's not true. But it feels like he doubles the yards expected of him. Every time he yeah. gets the ball, if it's going to go for two, he's going to make it go for four. Whereas it feels like the inverse of that for the other running backs behind him. <laughs> he's been excellent. And the guys have been behind him have been so bad that makes him just look that much better. So to me, yeah, it's Austin Eckler. 
Yeah, um, I'm going to go with another offensive lineman. I think it has to be Rashawn Slater um, for obvious okay. reasons. Um, you know, he's locked I'm down so the left proud. tackle spot. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the Chargers haven't had someone like that in a very long yeah. time. I don't think they maybe have ever had someone like that. Like, people want to say Marcus McNeil, but, I mean, if you think about what the career trajectory of Slater is, I think that's, you know, a little 100%. bit ahead of certainly what McNeil is, um, or McNeil was, I should say. Uh, you know, and then you see a stat on, you know, PFF or Twitter every week where it's like, he hasn't, he's allowed one sack in three years. <laughs> it's just like a really casual thing. Um, yeah. But no, I mean, I think that what they've done in the past game and the run game with him is just pretty amazing. And it's been one of the reasons that the offense has been uh, from an offensive line perspective, at least significantly better than it has been in previous seasons. So I think you got to give him credit there. He's been holding down the fort, and uh, yeah, so I think he's very uh, a deserving candidate for team rookie of the year, obviously, and I think at this point, offensive rookie of the year as well, or offensive player of the year for the Chargers as well. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic call. Um, yeah, I, I do agree. I think Marcus McNeil. You know, obviously, I you know, I've never watched Marcus McNeil all twenty two, um, but I just remember him being like a really solid you know, to above average to, you know, like just outside of the top tier left tackle. I could be wrong, um, but I don't really remember him ever being like an elite left tackle by any means. Whereas I think Slater has, you know, the potential to be doing that, you know, within the next year. So I think right now he's, I would put him, you know, like just in that second tier of left tackles, but I think, you know, within the next year or so it would, he would, he could certainly climb up into that first tier of offensive tackles. Um, our defensive player of the year. I think this is another one where we're probably going to see the same answers, but Tyler, I'll let you kick this one off first. Yeah, I think Joey Bosa could be turning a corner perhaps, but right now it is Derwin James. I don't think it's really even close because he's just been doing everything for the team. Sometimes you can't see it because he's on the back end, so he's not going to have those run stops or those tackles or sacks, pressures, whatever, but everything he does is so valuable to the team. He might even be like second place for MVP to be completely honest. Um, so for him, defensive player of the year, German James. Yeah, I agree. Um, pretty simple. I mean, if he had a couple more splash plays, like, you know, Trevon Diggs getting interceptions and stuff like that, like, I think he would be a serious contender for defensive player of the year outright in the league. Um, it just yeah. happens mm -hmm. so much that his role this year is kind of blanketing tight ends and, and doing all the dirty work. Um, so, you know, he's not quite getting those, like, interceptions and things like that, but you can just see his effect at every level of defense. Um, and to me, he's, you know, this team would not function defensively without him. And we saw no. this the last two years uh, and it was painful. So the fact that he's back, the fact that he's making an impact is really good. Got to be the MVP of the uh, defense for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we saw, you know, after Chris Harris was initially hurt against the Raiders, uh, Derwin James was playing in the slot for like 90% of his snaps that game. So just incredibly versatile, right? And we all know how good Derwin James is. And I think like Alex said, if, you know, he had made some more splash plays here and there, be, would, he would be definitely in that conversation with Diggs, Miles Garrett. Um, that's going to go to a pass rusher, though. I think Trayvon Diggs, like, it's cool that he's leading the league in interceptions, but we've seen this story too much. It's going to go to to Miles Garrett or TJ Watt. One, whoever is going to lead the league in sacks is going to get it. Um, so let's uh, move next to uh, most improved player. I'll start this one off. Um, you know, I, I tweeted this out yesterday that I wanted to give a jersey away of one of these two players. Mm -hmm. uh, people ended up choosing Kaiser White, but I think most improved is Nasir Adderley. I think the way that Adderley has taken a big step 
has been so crucial to this team and it allows Derwin James to be that chess piece because he is kind of that eraser back there. I think he's made such big strides as a tackler. And I know, you know, the mm-hmm. turnovers are not coming right now. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I think he has made a legitimate jump up where I would be comfortable talking about a Nasir Adderley extension in the offseason. And he just gives the Chargers so much versatility back there. We saw, you know, against the Broncos last year where he almost single-handedly, you know, let them back in the game and eventually won with a tackling issue. And that's not really been a thing this year. So I think Adderley is pretty clearly the most improved player, in my opinion. Yeah, that's a really good one. And honestly, thinking of this particular award, it's amazing how many players you could pick as most improved. A lot of players have improved quite a bit. I was going to say Tavon Campbell. I think there's maybe a case for that. I'm actually going to say Steven Anderson, though, because I think we thought, I mean, we who were fans of him didn't think all that much of him, particularly as a blocker. And I think the Chargers didn't either. I mean, they they brought back Parham. They obviously kept neighbors. They drafted Trey McKitty almost in an attempt, if you will, to, to push him kind of off the roster or find something else. And yet here he is taking the majority of the snaps. Neighbors is not even activated on game day anymore. McKitty's now there, but he's the, he's the four-string tight end now. He's pushed guys below him. He's risen up. He deserves to return next year in a role that I completely did not expect. I thought he'd just be the yards after catch tight end. Now he's the H-back blocker, screen guy, special teams. I mean, everything he's doing, I did not expect him to improve, make that big of a jump in just from, from one year with the team. So I think he is actually the most improved, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm going to go with the other guy that Steven said, because uh, you're white. I mean, just the yeah. impressive effort mm-hmm. with run stops. You know, he had 20 run stops total last year. He's already He already has 18, um, so he's on pace to smash that total. Mm-hmm. Some of that is just playing more because Tranquil and Murray have been out for various reasons here and there. But even past that, you can just tell that he's a much improved player, particularly in coverage. Um, yeah. I mean, he's allowing, if you look at his last two seasons in 2019 and 2020, he has passer ratings allowed of 113 and 118. This year, he has a passer rating allowed of 58.9. Um, so, I mean, that's pretty, speaks for itself. Uh, also, yeah. his yards per uh, reception allowed are down. So, he's been great in coverage, great run stopper, as he kind of always has been. But I think he's developed to being a more complete linebacker uh, at this stage. And, you know, he's, he's the only linebacker that's pretty much played every game, you know, and, and been there for the team every step of the way. So I think he's been a really important part of that defense. You can make an argument behind Joey Bosa, behind Derwin James. He's maybe like the third most crucial player to this season. So uh, I would put Kaiser in that conversation. Yeah, I think he absolutely deserves to be in that conversation. I, I, I chuckled a little bit yesterday when I was looking up pressure numbers for linebackers and seeing Kaiser's name right next to Dante Hightower. Dante Hightower has 10 pressures. I know, right? (laughs) So Dante Hightower has 10 pressures. Kaiser has nine. So he's improved quite a a lot in that area as well. Uh, So I think that's a good call. Um, Most disappointing on this team, I think uh, everyone kind of knows where Alex and I will be (laughs) choosing here. Uh, But Tyler, who are you going with for the most disappointing so far? (laughs) Well, I wrote down the same guy. but (laughs) I'll go somewhere else. Um... What were my expectations for Jared Tillery? Not that high. So is he most disappointing? Not really. Um, Honestly, maybe it's a Chen and Wosu. And I don't think he's played terribly by any means. But I think everyone last year, the whole thing about Bradley was, 
know, get this guy on the field. He's got to play more. He's got to play more. Why isn't he playing more? Why isn't he playing more? And then they were talking about, oh, we didn't know how to use him or we're trying to figure out ways to use him. We're like, what the hell are you talking about? In like week 13. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, maybe we'll try this. Like, what the hell? Anyway, you know, everyone thought, okay. And the numbers were there. The win rate was there. He was one of the best, had the best win rates among X amount of snaps or whatever. So everything was there. And this, this year it just has not really, he's not taken that next step as the pass rusher, the starter opposite Joey Bus. He was always excellent in limited starts or in, you know, some increased snaps, but never really that starter. And this year just hasn't quite been there. It's not bad by any means, but I think we really thought he would take that next step to be that, you know, the next Melvin Ingram right next to Joey Bosa. And he's been frankly outplayed by Melvin Ingram, who was, you know, was with the Steelers now with the chiefs, um, Hassan Reddick, who they probably should have signed. He's by far outplaying every other edge rusher on the roster, not named Joey Bosa. Um, so it's not like he hasn't improved, but the other options that they had out there have been doing yeah. so much better. So to me, that's the most disappointing. Yeah, I think a lot of people are going to expect me to go Jerry Tillery, but my expectations for Jerry <laughs> Tillery weren't that high at the beginning Un- of the, the building. season. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, okay. I, I I wasn't buying Stevens, you know, propaganda that he was selling in the offseason. So um, <laughs> personally, I'm going to go with Jalen Guyton. Um, okay. I don't think Jalen Guyton has been that great. There's been uh, a couple moments where obviously he's dropped passes. So drops are still a little bit of an issue, uh, issue with him, particularly when people remember the touchdown in the Kansas City game that he should have had. Um, but it's been really the other aspects of his game because obviously he's fast. He runs his routes pretty well. But, um, you know, he doesn't really know where to line up on the line of scrimmage, which is still pretty concerning because we're in week 10. Uh, this is also his worst season as a run blocker, uh, which isn't great uh, via PFF. So, you know, I sort of expected Jalen Guyton to take a little bit of a leap this year, especially because they were cutting Tyron Johnson. Um, and so, yeah, yeah um, I don't know what to make of his 2021 so far. It's been a little bit disappointing to me just based on what the expectations were for him. Obviously, a lot of his production is going to be those go balls, which, you know, he has not had from Justin Herbert to this point in the season. But, um, yeah, got to be honest, like it's been a little bit disappointing in comparison to what the expectations were, especially because he should be that deep shot receiver. But no one on the team really is outside of obviously Mike Williams, who, you know, will get those balls uh, from Justin Herbert like he did uh, against the Eagles. But got to say, it's been uh, disappointing for Jalen Guyton. Well, I, I would agree with that, too. And I would say, you know, after the Washington game, I was kind of expecting him to get more like yards after the catch opportunities, too. And those have all gone to Keenan Allen, which, again, I, I wish would be different. But, um, you know, Guyton's expectations have really gone up and down for me. So I think that is clear. So obviously, I, I, I was going to choose uh, Chris Harris here. I think that is, is totally fine. But you guys have talked about expectations heading into the season. I was not expecting Chris Harris to be fantastic uh mm-hmm. this year either so i i think you know to be on the same trajectory with you guys i have to choose jerry tillery yeah tillery was the player that i picked for defensive breakout um you know i saw the flashes uh from last season and saw the you know the, the splash plays and assumed that he could you know take another step especially with you know the defensive line staff that this team has uh and the ability that brandon staley showed to get you know players into one-on-one matchups and yeah, we're still seeing the flashes from Jerry Tillery, but it's, you know, one play every 50 mm-hmm. or whatever still from last year. 
Um, so I, I think Jerry Tillery has to be mine based off of, you know, the conversation that we've been having of, you know, expectations leading to results. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of people have asked me like, what's wrong with the run defense? What's wrong with the run defense? And it's like, well, you have one really good three technique four I and Justin Jones, and then you have Tillery and Covington who are probably on the same level. And so that's been an issue, but I think if he is making plays in the passing game, then it kind of balances itself out, but he's not really doing that either. So uh, Jerry Tillery has to be the, the biggest disappointment for, for me, uh, especially my given my expectations for him heading into the season. Yeah, wildly inconsistent, at least in terms of a pass rusher. As a run defender, he's about the same, although you showed, you showed some good plays from him against the Eagles, and they are there. They may not show up, but they are there. But yeah, he'll, he'll have a play or have a game where he has you know 30 pass rush snaps and he gets one sack and like that's it it's so weird that he can he'll have an amazing rep and then nothing happens the rest of the yeah. game yeah and like the, he had one rep against landon dickerson where he like tossed landon dickerson and then made a, a really nice run stop and it was like awesome and then that was it for the rest of the game and you're <laughs> like where where are the you know where is the consistent play from a fir- former first right. round pick in his third season um mm-hmm. so yeah all right, let's get to uh, biggest surprise. I think this is is kind of a different conversation than most improved. Like I said, you know, mentioning mm-hmm. preseason expectations. Um, and I, I think for me, I'm going to go back to the tight end room, and I'm going to say mm-hmm. Donald Parham. Now that we know it's okay. not Parham, Parham, yeah, whoops, according to the didn't man know. himself. Um, Donald Parham, I think, yeah, I, I obviously knew about the athleticism, knew about, you know, the after the catch ability, but he has improved – greatly as a tight end you know they're using him at the point of attack not so much now that they're trying to use Trey McKitty but you know before that Donald Parham was essentially working as their point of attack tight end and playing really well in that role um you know I figured he'd take a a big step forward as a pass catcher this year and he certainly has but the the way that he is blocking to me shows uh, the potential for someone who can truly be the tight end one for this team going forward so uh, biggest surprise for me, Donald Parham. Um, I'm going to go biggest surprise, Linval Joseph. Um, not because I thought that he was going to be bad, but I thought this might be the first season at age 34 that we would start to see some of the age-related decline. And then, you know, Tom Telesco would be like, oh, well, you know, time to cut bait. Um, that's sort of what happened with Brandon Weebane a little bit. So I kind of expected yeah. it for Linval Joseph, at least for those numbers to come down. Um, but he is on pace, not just for the best pass rush season in one, two, three, four, five years, the best pass rush season of his career uh, via PFF, which is really impressive. And he's on pace for the most run stops uh, in his career. Obviously, some of that is aided by a 17-game season, but he's on pace to smash his previous record of 35 run stops uh, with already 20 under his belt. So uh, got to go to him. I mean, I, I did not, not expect this kind of a season from him. And when we talk about Jerry Tillery, Jerry Tillery, we talk about Christian Covington, we talk about the guys that have been maybe disappointing in there. Like, and while Joseph is kind of carrying the IDL room by himself, uh, yes. uh, along with Justin Jones, who just returned. So uh, yeah, I think it's got to go to him. Yeah, it's a really, two really good calls, guys. I'm going to go with Mike Williams on this one particularly because of the off-season discussion. We're going to make Michael Thomas and Mike Williams the same player. <laughs> no, the hell you are not. Yeah, That's impossible. How? What are you talking about? Of course, the people paid, paid millions of dollars uh, know a little bit more than we do. And what do we know? He's got 
32 slants his way in the first three weeks and was looking like a top 10 receiver, all pro. You know, Herbert was the MVP candidate with all that good stuff. Blew up the Browns and a couple of busted coverages. He's been hurt, so I, I do think he will rebound. Hopefully this week, I think now he's hopefully progressed past that knee injury. I think there's either like soreness or a flare-up or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, so I hope he continues to improve and show some good stuff for the next few games. But yeah, he's the biggest surprise to me because I just always thought we all, honestly, because the previous coaching staff thought he was just kind of a one-trick pony. Maybe take a shallow crosser you know, to the, to the house or something like that. Um, a couple of deep balls down the sideline, but otherwise... Like that's all we thought of him. And instead he's a completely different receiver. They've used him in different ways. They've improved him as a receiver. So yeah, Mike Williams. Yeah. I, I, you know, we were very critical of him in training camp and heading into the season. Uh, definitely critical of Lombardi when he made that comment, but you know, Mike Williams has, has lived up to that. So I know the last few weeks have been disappointing and, and, you know, now there are people going back, you know, full tilt towards signing Devonte Adams or Michael Gallup or something like that in the off season. Like, I think Mike Williams is going to be fine. They're going to get back to targeting him and using him. Um, so I'm excited to see him kind of bounce back. As Tyler mentioned, the the knee issue probably, you know, factoring in there. Um, right, let's talk about best position coach on this team. Um, and then we'll wrap it up with best play. So best position coach, I think for me, uh, has been Frank Smith. I think a shocker, you know, I'm going with the offensive line guy. But, you know, there was a legitimate concern for me, at least, of hiring a former tight ends coach who hadn't coached the offensive line in like seven years as your, you know, offensive line coach and run game coordinator. Um, and I think he's been, you know, for the most part, a very good addition to this team, you know, coaching up storm Norton to, you know, getting these games where it's one pressure, two pressures, um, you know, dealing with Michael Schofield coming off the street to taking over Ode Abushi's spot. You have seven, Kelamete coming in off the street to take, Trey Pipkin's spot as that six blocker. So I think he's kind of, you know, dealt with these additions on the fly at a really high level uh, and making some good game plans with Joe Lombardi in terms of protection planning. Um, you know, of course, the all-in video probably helped me sway me in this direction. But I think for the most part, Frank Smith has exceeded my expectations um, as the, often, as the uh, best position coach, excuse me. Tyler, go All ahead. Right. Yeah, sure. Uh, okay. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll jump in. Um, it, it might be giving him a little bit too much credit because there's a lot of people involved in this, but because I feel like this position group has improved the most overall, I'll go. I'll give it to Derek Ansley. Ainsley, mm. however you say it, he's the secondary coach. Now, of yeah. course, there's Bernardo Hill involved. There's Brandon Staley involved. There's Scheme involved. But it's outside of Chris Harris, who's the guy who can't really improve because we expect him to sort of decline at this point. You know, I think Mike Dave, Michael Davis has improved. He's moved all over. Devon Campbell has improved. He's moved all over. Yeah. Sante Samuel Jr. looked good before the concussion, so I, I don't know what he looks like after this, but I believe he'll come back and provide a lot of spark for this team. I mean, and right now, the, the Chargers have, I assuming they retain Devon Campbell, who is, a, I think, a restricted free agent next year. They will have three solid, young, talented corners for the next few years, and that's really, really awesome that they have that. It's usually been, you know, a couple of, an undrafted free agent, and like a one good guy like Hayward and a yeah. couple of randos because Telesco never drafts these guys high. And he didn't have to draft, you know, Davis or, or Campbell high. And he didn't because they're undrafted free agents. Um, but they're very, very talented. And I don't remember the last time I felt so confident in a solid trio of corners for this team moving forward. So I, I think it's a secondary coach. 
I mean, you even have Ryan Smith who played really well in spot duty the last two weeks before yeah, go uh, figure. turn his ACL. Um, yeah. All right, Alex, your your turn here. Yeah, I'm going to agree with Derek Ansley um, as the pick with the secondary, uh, also just because of all the injuries that have happened, right? And I think that speaks to coaching and scheme as well. Uh, Ryan Smith, you know, unfortunately tore his ACL, but he comes into the game last week, uh, you know, in, in lieu of, you know, Michael Davis and Asante Samuel being out, uh, which is, you know, pretty impressive to have the effort that he did. Von uh, Campbell, obviously, you know, the less said about Chris Harris, the better, but, you know, they've been kind of, <laughs> putting it together with, you know, guys that have been in and out of the secondary all year. This year, Adderley been a little bit in and out of games here and there. Alohi Gilman, right? So the fact that they're still putting it all together and dealing with the issues with the defensive line and the linebackers and still getting pretty high-quality performances, I think, speaks to this coaching staff, uh, particularly Ansley in the secondary group. Obviously, if you have someone like Derwin James, uh, that kind of mm, raises your floor a little bit because he's all over the place. But I think the fact that uh, they've been able to kind of maintain and keep water with the secondary group, that uh, that that doesn't make sense that Derek Ansley is kind of the position coach of the year. But also, I think Frank Smith is a great pick, too. I think that's a, a fantastic pick. And you mentioned Alohi Gilman as well, somebody that I think could be, you know, in the conversation for biggest surprise. Um, all right. So we're going to do best play of the season so far. Then we'll, uh, we have one Patreon question, then we'll open up to the chat here. So best play for me, I'm going with Justin Herbert's, uh, shot pass to Keenan Allen against the Dallas Cowboys. The one where the Cowboys were in cover two and he just floated it right into the, just this tiny little window that he had there. I think it was one of the craziest throws that I've seen all year. You could make an argument for, Several different plays from Justin Herbert, but to me, you know, that kill shot throw to Keenan Allen just over the fingertips of Trayvon Diggs on the sideline uh, is the best play of the year for me. Yeah, that's a good call there. There's a lot of plays to go to. I'm going to go with is the best play, the most exciting play? Not really, but I think that Jared Cook fourth down conversion where they have him line up at left tackle, Slater line up, line up at right tackle uh, against the Raiders. I think it was fourth and two. I think it just kind of characterizes everything that they've had this season on fourth down, them coming out with this wild look, being super creative and converting, being aggressive, you know, in a game they really needed that conversion. They did. Um, so that play to me really stands out as both creativity, um, as a, a really, really good way to characterize the team as a whole. So, yeah, that's that's my favorite play and I think the best play of the year. Yeah, I think my favorite play is when Derek Carr uh, hermit crabbed uh, and the Chargers <laughs> kind, of, kind of stuck against them. I think that that was really fun. Um, but I don't know. There's not like an individual play that like stands out to me this season. I think there's just been drives that have been really good, right? We talk about the drive against yeah. Washington to close out the game. Uh, obviously, the drive against Kansas City to, to ice the win there. Uh, so there's been more, I guess, drives than like individual plays for me, but obviously some very fun ones. Uh, the Mike Williams busted coverages against the Browns were incredibly fun. Uh, so, you know, I, I think that, you know, you can look all around for great plays. Um, pretty much any play that wasn't a uh, jet sweep to Joshua Kelly on a fourth and two. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Some great moments from this team for sure. Uh, and to HH4, man, cheer up. Team six and three. So, you know, I don't understand the negativity today. Would be um, nice. They're five and three. Yeah, five and three. Excuse After me. tomorrow, they'll be six and three. Yes. Excuse me. 
Um, all right, we'll get to this page question. And as always, uh, you can use the super chat feature to make sure that you your question uh, is answered. Uh, HH4 ownership is not an issue. Um, every single team in the NFL has the same cap. So cheap owner, not a thing. Anyways, all right, Luke Wojenka on Patreon wants to know, burning question in his mind, what pieces in our organization are not compatible to a Super Bowl championship team? Don't really mean roster. I mean, we all know the position groups that need upgrading. He wants to know specifically, is Tom Telesco really a GM that can build a Super Bowl winning roster, et cetera? What do you guys think? Um, Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not the biggest Tom Telesco fan, and I think you can make the argument that he probably should have gotten fired with Lynn uh, and have it be respectful with how long he's been here. But at the same time, like, it's not that hard to, like, build the Super Bowl contender. Like, if you look at all the market inefficiencies that have been exploited, you know, I mean, the Eagles won a Super Bowl off of the same rookie contract that the Ravens used, that the Seahawks used, and the Chiefs used when Patrick Mahomes won the Super Bowl, right? Pretty much every Super Bowl champion outside of Tom Brady over the last 10 years has been uh, a team that's been using the rookie quarterback contract loophole to load up at other positions. So, like, I don't think that's that hard for the Chargers to do. Um, obviously, you know, you could say Tom Telesco could have gotten a better draft pick here, there. I think he's the league average GM. I don't think he's bad. I don't think he's like amazing, but you know, can you win a Super Bowl with him? Sure. Um, I don't think that that's that hard. Um, whether he should be the GM or not, I think is a different question, but I don't think he's even compatible Mm -hmm. with a Super Bowl winning title. Um, especially how he's conducted his business and the picks that he's hit on, including Justin Herbert. So to me, um, I don't think there's anything really incompatible there. As far as ownership, um, yeah, I don't think it matters. Uh, Spano stays out of pretty much all football decisions, um, unlike, say, you know, certain Texas oil tycoons. Um, so, you know, I think that there, there's no piece that's incompatible with winning a championship. They just haven't won one. <laughs> like, I, I don't think there's something yeah. wrong with the organization, I guess. Um, but yeah, so and they're getting a new practice facility and all that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, no, I mean, that, that's how I feel about it. And to be honest, when we talk about like football, I think GM, I guess, is sort of one of the lesser important like executive positions in the four major sports. Uh, I think you can make that argument that it's probably more important in the other ones. But um, yeah, no, I don't think Tom Telesco is incompatible with the championship. I think that he's fine uh, for what he does has his hits, has his misses, and it's up to the coaching staff. And obviously, um, the Justin Herbert kind of timeline here to determine if they win a title or not. Yeah, it, it, has it been a great nine, ten years or whatever? Not really. I've been a season ticket for all of those, and it's really sucked sometimes. But I do think he's the – is he compatible for a Super Bowl run? Yes, because what do you need for a Super Bowl run? You need a quarterback. Quarterback in his third year on a cheap contract, perfect draft picks to move up trade up trade for players whatever and nice cap room and now you have the right coach for it so i think they have the quarterback the coach a generally really solid nucleus including a left tackle of the future which is amazing i can't believe we have one now Um, and the the chargers can go all in next year and the year prior because of how the team is set up Um, so i think in combination with everything they have on the roster and this coach i do think he is compatible to win a super bowl it hasn't been pretty. Like I'm not like I'm not the biggest fan of him. I think he's fine. He's not awful. We've seen awful GMs. You can go look at plenty of other teams that have really, really bad GMs. He's not one of them. And 
while I do think he could be better and while I was disappointed they weren't aggressive at the trade deadline, I don't like hate most of the decisions he makes. And most of the decisions he makes, I actually kind of understand or agree with. They just don't really pan out. So I think in the, the process, I understand more than the results sometimes. Those don't work out. Um, but I, I think he's a fine GM. I just, it's got to be next year. If the all-in year isn't next year, forget it. I'm deleting this video, uh, firing <laughs> him on the spot. If they don't go all-in next year and Herbert is healthy, forget about it. Like, fire him. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of us forget how collaborative GM and the head coach relationship is. Because you look at the moves that Tom Telesco made this offseason, like it was a strong priority to upgrade the offensive line. That's something that never really happened previously. Does that mean Telesco changed his philosophy? No, it means he's adapting to what the coach wants to do. So I think a lot of us kind of underestimate how collaborative that relationship is. Because if Anthony Lynn wanted an offensive lineman instead of Joshua Kelly, they probably would have taken one. You know, Tom Telesco isn't changing his philosophy in year 10. It's just that he's adapting to the new coach and what the new coach wants and the vision for the roster. So I wanted Tom Telesco fired along with Anthony Lynn. I wanted a, a clean sweep, you know, but I think Telesco is mostly a fine GM like you guys are saying. I think at the end of the day, football these days starts with, do you have the right head coach and do you have the right quarterback? And then everything else kind of stems from that. And so I think we're leaning towards yes on the head coach. And I think we have yes as a quarterback. So to me, that's really where it, where it starts. I think Telesco is, is a good GM. I don't think he's a great GM. And, and we, we saw last year, like, you know, the, the GM in Tampa Bay, everybody wanted him fired heading into or the last season of Jameis Winston. They go out and sign Tom Brady. And now everybody thinks he's a genius. So yeah. GM, like Alex was saying, I think is not a super important position in the NFL. I think it's because you have 53 players. You have, you know, the head coach is so important in the roster. So I agree with Alex there that the GM is is kind of a not like unimportant position, but it's not as important as everybody else makes it out to be. Yeah, Bill Belichick sucks as a GM and he has six <laughs> Super Bowls. Um, so, I mean, yeah. like it doesn't... It, it, yeah, I'm not saying it doesn't matter. Like, obviously, you could have a better GM, but sure. you know, there have been GMs that have stunk that have won championships, and GMs that have stunk that have won trades, like David Gettleman and Odell Beckham. Right. I think a lot of people around the league kind of view uh, Chris Ballard in Indianapolis as the best GM in the league right now, and it's not like the Colts have had a ton of postseason success the last few years, but people still think that he's a great GM. So, I, I think that position is just kind of overvalued by fans a little bit too much interesting comment from arjun here that pro football focus did a study on it on drafting and based on wins above replacement in the players first three years Chargers rank below average at drafting no matter which way you look at it yeah i i mean it makes sense when you're drafting jerry tillery and joshua kelly <laughs> and like all these players but a lot of that does also fall on the coaches too you know, like you mentioned the comments from Jenna and Wosi, you draft this linebacker in the second round. And then in year three, week 13, it's like, we're still trying to figure out how to use him. Is that really Tom Telesco's fault or is that a Gus Bradley issue? Yeah, I just I have a question on that study. Is that saying first three years as in 19, 20, 21? Or how, how does that study work? Uh, Arjun can answer it, but I'm not exactly sure how that works. Parts the first three years in the league. 
Well, but that's what I mean. Like Justin Herbert hasn't played three years. You know, Rashawn Slater hasn't played three years. So is that only counting people who have been since 18 and 19? Because, I mean, like Tom Telesco did sort of stink at the draft for a while before <laughs> he started hitting on picks. So, um, you know, so like, I don't know, like the 2017 draft wasn't great, you know, so like, I don't know. And for what it's worth, I do think, yes, it's been three different coaches. I do think Telesco changed, and maybe it was just Mike McCoy, but I do feel like he changed his philosophy in after the McCoy years. I feel like he became a better drafter. He held on to more of his picks, which some of us don't like, but he wasn't trading up in the, for a linebacker in the second round for the yeah. fourth year in a row. He wasn't trading up for a running back in the first round. I think he was a little bit of a smarter GM after the McCoy era. So, I mean, still not great during the Lynn era, but some good stuff in there too. So kind of in the same vein, Sean O'Brien had a great question before we started that I wanted to touch on here. Uh, does anyone ever think about what if the Chargers were able to draft Justin Jefferson, who was drafted one slot ahead of K-9? I, I haven't thought specifically about that. I have thought about just how this team doesn't really seem to need Kenneth Murray right now. Like you have Kaiser and mm-hmm. Drew Tranquil playing at a really high level. And, like, honestly, I miss Denzel Perryman, man. Like, Denzel Perryman is leading the league in run stops from among linebackers. And I wow. look at what this linebacker core needs. I think it needs a true hammerhead linebacker. You know, I, I, th- I look at uh, Kaiser, Tranquil, and Kenneth Murray all as kind of space and chase linebackers, and that's definitely not a problem. But I think they need, like, that true Dude, Woods. What's Sorry, that? Woods did tear his ACL. Robert Woods just tore his ACL, man. Whoa. Damn. Did that, so that is, is that confirmed? It was yesterday, apparently. Yeah, um, Schefter just retweeted that. Yeah. Mm. He heard his knee at practice on Friday. Wow. Mm. Good timing. Same Ooh, day like that this. they signed up. Wow. That's crazy. I guess the Odell trade is going to work, or the Odell signing is going to be uh, quite a bargain then. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, man. That's wild. That sucks. Robert Woods is a, is a great guy. I think he's one of the more underrated receivers in the league but yeah like i was saying i think this team is missing that true linebacker that's going to go downhill and hit people in the mouth and that's what denzel perryman was so i mean we kind of looked at the kenneth murray pick as unnecessary at the time um Mm -hmm. as much as i like the player but i don't necessarily think about justin jefferson i just think of who else could they have taken um I think of Justin Jefferson more in the context of the Eagles because they took Jalen. Yeah. Sucks <laughs> fucking ass. But anyway, um, no, I don't know. Like, yeah, I don't know. Like, it's so much about the coaching staff. Like, if Brandon Staley was the coach then, would they have taken Kenneth Murray? I don't know. Like, Kenneth Murray was specifically drafted for that Gus Bradley scheme. Um, and, I mean, did have a decent year last year uh, with that. So, you know, I think it's just sort of wrong place, wrong time now. Like, obviously, if we could go back in time and make Brandon Staley the coach in 2020, like, we probably would. But yeah. at the same time, I don't know, like, how productive that discussion was. Like, you know, Patrick Queen hasn't been, like, great in Baltimore either. And that's sort of the other guy that everybody wanted. Um, yeah. You know, so, like, I think there's something to that. Um, and, and you can make the argument that, yeah, Kenneth Murray doesn't super have a spot on this team right now obviously we'll see how the edge hybrid thing plays out once drew tranquil is back and once they're able to sort of do that obviously he has to play more inside linebacker tomorrow because they need bodies at this point there 
Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, like Justin Jefferson, Keaton Allen, Mike Williams, and Josh Palmer would be incredibly fun <laughs> just to think about. But um, I, I think it's less that issue and more the fact that Kenneth Murray just kind of fits out now. Yeah, looking at the draft too, it's not like there were, I mean, what do you want? Isaiah Wilson, Clyde Edwards Hilaire, Patrick Queen, Jordan Love, like wasn't a great group. Yeah. I think if, I think I'd rather they had stayed. I think the the real bummer is they didn't stay put and take I don't know anybody else. Jonathan Taylor, you know, maybe well, I guess Pittman and Higgins were gone, but you know, any receiver, any safety, any lineman, and then they just taken Logan Wilson. Logan Wilson's stats this year, if I'm not mistaken, are, are really really good. Yeah. He was either a third or fourth round pick, outproducing Murray by quite a bit. Obviously, because Murray was hurt, but even to start the year, he had like three or four interceptions. And it was a great start to the year for Wilson. And Murray just doesn't look good. Everybody everybody kind of wanted Wilson too at a later time or a um, Akeem Davis-Gaither. Is that his name? Yep, that's the one. Yeah, yeah. So any one of those guys, they went with Murray. That's more disappointing to me. There's not a lot of guys around that area that are like really great. Um, but it, it's it, the fact they didn't stay put and have more picks, that's the bummer to me. Right, yeah, I think it's the fact that he didn't stay put, and then their first pick on day three was Joshua Kelly, uh, which <laughs> winner, yeah, yeah, has not has not aged well, um, you know. So like, you, you take what you can get with it, but I, I think the problem more with the Kenneth Murray pick is that Telesco's not a great drafter outside of those first three rounds, and they gave up that capital to get him, which forced Telesco to do better yeah. in those final rounds which are sort of hit or miss at the moment um so yeah yeah definitely didn't expect alohi gilman to be the one that stands out from those day three picks <laughs> i actually I thought he was I, like yeah I, I didn't expect kj hill to be gone <laughs> yeah, yeah no kidding yeah man i, I loved kj hill at ohio state <laughs> um all right this is an interesting one or not necessarily interesting but relevant obviously to the week um greg asked earlier of the vikings players in the covid protocols which are impact players so obviously you have harrison smith who tested positive yeah last week same with garrett bradbury i mean harrison smith is one of the best secondary players in the league that's huge you know we talked on our show about cameron bynum who's taking his spot in this one um a player that i really liked in the draft but you know he's still rookie only one career start um and then garrett bradbury Although he was not like a great center, you know, he's led the league in pressures. Uh, he's still your starting center, has a good relationship with Kirk Cousins. Um, so that is an issue. And then Kenny, Kenny Willekes is their edge rusher who took the place of Daniil Hunter. So I think this is it. You know, the Vikings are missing a lot of important players because of COVID. Um, you know, you're down your best pass rusher because of an injury your third best pass rusher because of COVID, your best defensive player in Harrison Smith, and then your starting center. And I think there's somebody else too. Oh, Dakota Dozier, the one, the one who's been in the ER. I think he's a backup guard though, so that's not like a huge thing. Um, so yeah, the Vikings are are really struggling with this one right now. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's less one individual player and more the fact that they had injuries in the trenches and now they have more guys that are going to be out in the trenches, right? Like that to me, I think hurts. Obviously, Harrison Smith is a loss. Um, but yeah, no, I think it's just more, you know, what are, what are they going to have on the offensive and, and defensive lines to be able to handle the Chargers on kind of both sides of that ball? Um, so yeah, I think that that's going to be 
the big thing. And, you know, you never know if there's going to be a player who tests positive in the next 24 hours, uh, either for either team, which could, you know, change what we think about it. So, uh, yeah, no, I think it's just more the players that are in the trenches and COVID's unfortunately back on the rise. And uh, I can relate to the Viking struggles because <laughs> Embiid, Harris, and Thibel are out right now, which is great. What is basketball? I barely watch it. Um, look, whatever gets Patrick Jones on the field, I was super high on that guy out of Pittsburgh, and I, I think he's a good player. I don't understand why he kept falling on the draft network. I don't remember where he ended up being drafted. I think I had like a second or third on him. Very productive, high motor, pretty solid athlete, I, and a variety of pass rush moves. I don't get why he wasn't drafted higher. Um, so if he gets a good start, hopefully it's against Storm Norton, and hopefully I look, uh, look pretty good. Not too good of a start. Excuse me. It was on mute there for a second. Um, I think Jones ended up being a fifth-round pick, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. yeah. But he, he didn't He didn't have a good week at the Senior Bowl, and honestly, I think that's what it was. Uh, apparently, Denzel Perryman got fined for 55000 for an illegal hit last week. Okay. Did we see the fact that they they fined Cassius Marsh? Yes, unsportsman letter for the taunting. So stupid. Yeah, I'm so happy I didn't. I didn't. I'm so happy I didn't watch that game. I would have been so (laughs) frustrated. And I don't like either of those teams. But yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, that's such a stupid penalty. Yeah, that was awful. Thomas pointed out that Dozier is a practice squad. Practice squad guy. Didn't know that. Is he a right guard? Also, Dozier. She's not playing. Never mind. Yeah, he's not playing. But. Tron says, I want a Joshua Kelly breakout game tomorrow. I mean, we all want him to succeed. It's totally. just that he's not been last year. You know, Arjun has shared this graphic before, but um, he was worse. He had a worse efficiency rating than uh, Frank Gore did last year. Um, <laughs> and Frank Gore is like now doing celebrity boxing. Celebrity boxing. <laughs> so we all want Joshua Kelly to do well. He's just, he's not very good. And like Alex was pointing out, like, I think. We would all feel differently about Joshua Kelly if they had not traded up to get Kenneth Murray and then use their next pick on a running back who's been bad. Like, I think if they had good second and third round picks before him, we probably feel a little less, you know, heavy on the Joshua Kelly pick. But I I think it's just the circumstances of how he was taken and how he played against Cincinnati and has really not been the same player uh, ever since the fumbles in Tampa Bay. I would feel better about the Joshua Kelly pick if they drafted uh, Khalil Herbert over Larry Roundtree <laughs> and he didn't need to play. Yeah, same one. Um, yeah, I feel like Roundtree needs more carries, though. I, I want to see him get yeah. seven or eight, you know? And if it sucks, that you move on. But, like, I want to see a couple more than... He had, like, one carry. I'm like, come on. Give, give him a few more... Try to get something going. No. <laughs> Look, honestly, okay, he so I was rewatching games. He had a really good run against the Chiefs that was called back because of another penalty. He yeah. like broke a couple of tackles and had scored, but then they had called that play back. I thought that was a really good run. So I think there yeah, like, I, I mean, saw I, that I, and there's something. Yeah, there. I, I I thought he was okay against the Raiders. Like there's something there. Yeah. You know, he he can he can play. It's just like, you know, what what are we doing if he can't create kind of his own space with his vision right like an Eckler is yeah. the only running back who can do that on the roster right now Jackson can do mm-hmm. it when he's healthy but he's never healthy right so like <laughs> I, I think that's why people 
are sort of down on this running back group, like um, at the moment, like uh, can Larry Roundtree be a productive player in year two? Maybe, but I, I don't see, you know, what, I mean, it's this, he's the same player he was when they drafted him. Like I know he's the leading rusher at Mizzou and all that. And that's great. But like, you can kind of just see it on tape. Like, you know, he was a big back that, you know, was playing in the sec and now he's playing in the NFL and you need that vision. So they don't, he doesn't have that right now. Maybe he'll have it soon. Yeah. I, I, I'm just so frustrated at the whole, you know, backs behind Austin Eckler conversation because Brandon Staley said yesterday, yeah. like, Oh, we're not disappointed in those guys. That's the bar coach. The bar is that you're not disappointed <laughs> in them. I mean, like I, I, you know, and then he says that, you know, they're going to let competition sort itself out. Like Justin Jackson, I think missed three weeks of training camp. Right. Or was it two, two or three? Yeah, sure. Two or three. And now he's missed four games this year. So, like, Coach, we've had plenty of time for these guys to emerge. Mm-hmm. They haven't. Like, you had all three preseason games to see which of the guys that you wanted in Larry Rancher or Joshua Kelly. You've had now four regular season games without Justin Jackson. And, like, it's really cool that Larry Rancher is playing well on special teams. Like, that's that's really cool. But you need a second running back to, to rely on, man. Like, it's just – it's so frustrating to me how the bar has – become like, well, he's good on special teams and we're not disappointed in, him in, in them as a ball carrier. It's like, what are we doing here? Like, just mix it up a little bit. I mean, yeah, but he's not going to say that, right? Like, so, you know, I, I like, yeah, they should bring up Bradwell. I agree there and, and try something different because, you know, when you bang your head into a wall five times, you can't expect it to be better on the sixth time. Uh, but you know, at this point, like coach speak is coach speak, you know, at least he wasn't sure. like, Oh, well, actually Joshua Kelly and Larry Roundtree are the worst thing I've seen since Pearl Harbor, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but... <laughs> the Pearl Harbor thing. Yeah. No, I was just like frustrated at the comments of like, you know, usually the thing is like, they're doing everything we ask. And then this specific instance is like, well, we're not disappointed in them. It's like, come yeah, on. Yeah, I mean, that's because Steven's job is to run the Twitter account, so he has to watch all these press conferences versus <laughs> I just filter out what you actually need to hear versus what is, you know, Brandon Staley just, you know, so I don't know. That's that's, that's sort of the difference. But Well, we could ask him if they lift weights, you know, just in case of curiosity, <laughs> you know, maybe they do. Up. I don't know. I can't believe in week 10 we're asking Justin Herbert if he lifts weights still. Come on. And then the Chargers roast him like, dumbass reporter asked dumbass question like, on, their, on their YouTube page. Oh, God. Credit to, credit to Justin for handling it well. You know, he's got such a goofy sense of humor. Of humor and him like asking, like, does it not look like it is just like hilarious to me. But like, man, Justin Herbert is 6'6", 240. Like, what do we think? He's just like hanging out. And while every, the rest of the team is lifting weights, come on, man. Yeah, he's not on that uh, Larry Roundtree diet, you know. He <laughs> or no, no, sorry, the, the, he's the, on the Bradwell diet. I was, yeah. yeah, I was gonna say Bradwell. You sorry, I confused my slow running backs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, we there was a story on Kayvon Thibodeau like literally two weeks ago of him training with Justin Herbert while they were at Oregon. Like, come on, man. So, anyways, um, it's good that he has press credentials and we don't. Yes, very good. Um, Omar Reyes asked a good question. He wants to know what are the most important positions going into next year's draft? 
Um, I, I think we kind of know, right, like what the, the most important positions are in the draft at this point for this team. What I'll say, of course, I'm the offensive line guy, but to me, I, th- there's no really easy free agent fix in terms of solving the right tackle position. I've looked at the class. You know, maybe the, the Cowboys move on from Lyle Collins and that could change things. But mm-hmm. I, I think the best solution for right tackle at this point is use a first or a second round pick there. Um, and then you can either spend money on a Hassan Reddick or, or a Jadavian Clowney or Von Miller to solve the edge rusher position. So I think right tackle uh, is definitely one that needs to be addressed in the first or second round next year. Yeah, I think you could go right tackle. I think you go defensive interior. Um, secondary a little bit. I think you could use some bodies sure. there. But at the end of the day, I, I think to me, going into next year with the fact that they have or are going to have four six-round draft picks, the fact that they're going to have a lot of compensatory selections, like to me, yeah. it's about hitting on those more so than any individual position. Um, and we know Tom Telesco hasn't been great on those in the past, but because this team is going to need bodies, because they're going to be cutting some people uh, and, and sort of moving, you know, uh, maneuvering the roster a little bit, I think if you can get some impact guys in the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round, at least maybe two or three, considering the amount of picks that they have there, like that to me is more important than any individual position. Because of course we can talk about, you know, like defensive tackles, obvious, right tackles, obvious. But, um, you know, I think it's just more getting the most out of those late round picks. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to suggest running back as an important position. I hate (laughs) drafting ones. It hasn't worked out from Gordon to to Kelly to the other guy, Roundtree. Gordon was at least productive. Yeah, I guess. But the first round, like, anyway, he he was good in moments for sure. Um, I, I hate to say it, but like I, I do think it's it's worth it if the talent is there. I don't want to reach. I don't want a boring back. I don't want another Joshua Kelly who is kind of three yards in a cloud of dust, doesn't really catch a lot of passes sort of guy. Um, if that's, hey, like if you get your guy in the seventh round, cool. Get him in the fifth round, cool. Uh, if the Chargers had taken Michael Carter in the fourth round this year, that would have been amazing. That would have been a fantastic one-two punch, exactly what they needed. Um, they did not. That's okay. But I, I think if the opportunity presents itself for good value and a dynamic enough player, go for it. So I think running back is a sneaky, important position because, I mean, so Jackson's going to be gone, right? Yeah. And Kelly <laughs> might stick around. I don't like they'll keep Roundtree. Bradwell's not on the team next year. Maybe a practice squad guy. Kelly's probably useless. I don't know. So I think running back is a sneaky sort of draft position need next year. Yeah, I think any running back that runs faster than a 4-7 and physically has hands <laughs> on his body to be able to catch the football. Yeah. He's in the round mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I think, um, you know, traditionally I'm, I'm anti put a lot of resources into the running back position because like you can get Austin Eckler as an undrafted free agent, you know. But at the same time, like I'm intrigued by the free agent running back class next year you know the cardinals have both of their running backs that are free agents james connor currently leads the league in touchdowns uh chase edmonds has been really dynamic and i think would be a perfect fit behind austin eckler so it's gonna be interesting to see what they do there you have some other interesting backs you know raheem mostert is a free agent as well um marlon mack is one Ernest johnson for the browns is another one so i'm more intrigued i mean again i haven't looked at any of the draft 
prospects yet um, outside of the players who play on the University of Utah. Um, but, you know, you have a good free agent class of running backs, in my opinion. So that's probably where I would invest my resources at that position is, is go sign, you know, a veteran running back that can really take pressure mm-hmm. off of, off of uh, Austin Eckler. So all right, let's talk about Utah for a second because I keep seeing your <laughs> re- retweets about this Lloyd guy, yes. Devin the Lloyd guy. Yes. Um, <laughs> I, I'm very curious to see where you're going to rank him in, in our, in our He's gonna prospect be rankings. He's going to be tough. I then. feel like, yeah, I feel like it's going to be a toss up between Thibodeau and Lloyd for you, man. Like, I, I'm really curious to see how that ends up for you. Well, Not position, really, if, but... if they're tied, positional value would, would, you know, would sway me there, but. I mean, Devin Lloyd is second in the conference in sacks, and he's an inside linebacker. So he's he's a monster. He's got three interceptions. He's tied for the league in the conference in interceptions. Uh, he leads the conference in uh, – actually, he leads the country in tackles for loss. So Devin Lloyd is is an amazing linebacker. Uh, right now, he's getting top 10 hype. I don't think that ends up where he gets drafted just because we, we don't really see linebackers go top 10. You know, even mm-hmm. Michael Parsons went 11. So I think Lloyd kind of ends up in like the 15 to 20 range. Um, but, you know, if he's there for the Chargers, man, I would have a hard time passing him up at this point with uh, how he's playing and how the rest of the room is playing. Did Darius Bradwell really run a 4-4-8? Why is he not on the field? No way. <laughs> I don't. Wait. Is that true? Wait, 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 wait. Everybody's going to Google co- it right was, now. What- was the, was this the COVID pro day year though, where like everyone ran like a four two? No, that was that was, was this a year. While ago, yeah. No, 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 no. But he was twenty twenty, right? It was during COVID. I just feel like this was the year where everyone ran a four two at like Kentucky or whatever. No, no, no. But it was also last year though, because I assume he wasn't at the combine, was he? No, he wasn't. No. So if it was one of those untimed pro day things, so like I mean that still could have been that. Uh, I'm gonna Google this though. Yeah, I'm good. I'm looking it up right now. I see four. Is he from Tulane? I don't even know what yeah. the hell he's from. Yeah, yeah Tulane. Tulane. I have yeah four four eight low four five eight high. Or no, so the middle time would be four five eight a low of four four eight a high of four six seven. That's a lot of variability. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm like, pretty sure this. I, I'm pretty sure 2020 was also the year where guys were running considerably faster than they usually were because the pro days were like right after COVID hit, right? I I, I think that was. I, I no, they, it, being, it definitely could be. He must have had his pro day like right because I remember you know most <laughs> of the pro days were canceled in 2020. Tulane Pro Day date 2000. <laughs> this is so bad. Uh, he he ran a four four eight, and then they told him to bulk up to, to play the NFL. I think he took that too seriously. <laughs> <laughs> How did he go? <laughs> they were talking about his weight last year, and he ran a four four eight. I uh, mean, there's he, no way. He was listed at uh, he was listed at two thirty at Tulane. Like no way. <laughs> I could buy four five five. That I think yeah. is like the apex. <laughs> yeah, downhill. Hmm. I'm I'm sick of this guy. I'm blocking him. <laughs> I can't. Uh, Apparently, there's no speed at tight end. Are we watching yeah. the same team? I don't think so. If anyone wants to get some final questions or super chats in, feel free to do that. Yeah. I mean, is there speed at like what? What is? It's not Kyle Pitts. Sorry, but like I think there's enough there. 
I mean, Jared Cook is is still pretty fast for a tight end. Donald Parham, I think, ran like a four five. So, but going back to the Darius Bradwell, there, I I zero chance he ran a four four. Zero chance. <laughs> so, we should ask him. <laughs> we should ask him. I think his mom still follows the podcast account, so I'll ask. Him. <laughs> Did you just send one a four four eight? Like, <laughs> hey, what's your son up to these days on the practice squad, Mrs. Bradwell? I have an inquiry. <laughs> How's your son's diet going? <laughs> oh my god! Maybe it's bad. Maybe that's why he can't get on the roster. Maybe it's what. Maybe he's got a, his diet's not going great. Nah, I'm not going to speculate about some dude's weight. Yeah. Um. All right, we'll take final questions here, guys. So send all your questions that you have right now. We'll see what we can get. Yeah, I said yesterday that Stafford, in, I feel like a Stafford injury was on the way with how great things were going for the Rams. Turns out it was a, is a Woods injury. To me, it just it just felt like one of those things where everything's going really, really well, and then you know yeah. something's on the way where it doesn't. I remember, honestly, it reminds me of the Eagles' dream team sort of thing, where you guys got all those free agents and like Namdi Asamoah, <laughs> like yeah, we're gonna be a really good team, and then it wasn't. Yeah. Vince Young, man. Yeah, you just can't say something year. like that. All right, guys, final questions here. We're going to head out in a little bit. So uh, send the questions. The most difficult Lord of the Rings question you can think of. Come on. Someone has to ask me one question on this chat. Uh, will Chris Harris retire if he's released or signed somewhere else? I think he probably retires. I, I can't imagine someone else signing him at this point. I could see someone else signing him. I mean, if you have him in like, the Raiders. The Raiders. <laughs> the Raiders. Um. Yeah, I mean, what is he? I think he's going to be 33. He could probably play one or two more years somewhere else for cheaper value. <laughs> Name all, all deities. deities in the Lord of the Ring universe. Define deities. Are we talking like the the wizards? Or are we talking about like Sauron? What are we talking about here? The dragons? Well, I don't know what is defined as a deity in the Lord of the Rings universe. So I guess you stumped me. This is worse than Utah talk. It's better. You respect those movies. Wow. Was Shang Chi a good movie? It was yes. fantastic. It was fantastic. I don't. I didn't watch yeah. Shang Chi. I didn't see it. I have not seen Eternals yet. I, I've heard a lot of bad reviews from that one. Yeah, unfortunately, um, I haven't watched any Marvel movies since Endgame. Um, that was the last one I watched. So I'm still a little bit behind. Uh, I'm excited for the new Spider-Man, though. That I will watch. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the Doctor Strange one, one should be good, though. That's directed by mm-hmm. uh, Sam Raimi, so I'm interested in that. But, uh, they've delayed that a bunch of times, so I'm curious. Yeah, to see I don't know. That ends up. All the Marvel movies are shovelware at this point, though. It's all about Steven's favorite movie, Matt Reeves' The Batman, baby! Yeah. I, I don't have a strong opinion about that specific movie. I just think the way that the DC universe is being handled is ridiculously stupid and makes no sense. Oh, all universes are bad. 
here's the thing. You you just gotta Whoa. watch individual movies. Whoa. Okay? You gotta Whoa. watch cinema, okay? <laughs> no, Marvel set up like 30 movies to all lead into the next one. Everything yeah. made sense. Everything mm-hmm. was chronological until the stupid Black Widow movie. DC yeah, is like, here's a random Batman movie. Here's a <laughs> here's a Justice League movie after two movies. Like DC has made zero sense at all from day. Oh yeah, it, no, I agree. Ridiculously stupid. Did but, you guys watch the uh, X Men '97 show or whatever? When, I did. I mean, I did. yeah. So that's coming yeah, back. I am so excited. Yeah. Um. Yeah. No. That, that should intro. be fun. Uh, I hope it's the same animation, though. I hope they don't make it like 3D animation. I think it is, or whatever. I hope it's the same animation because 2D animation is mm-hmm. expensive, and that's why they use that like crappy CG shit. So, hope it's OG. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> a couple questions about the run defense. Alvin wants to know if we think Lamont Joseph is going to be re-signed. Um, he better be. I, he's been playing fantastic, so. Uh, he better be, but I, I think it kind of depends on the draft. I think we could kind of see that uh, go into like June or July, depending on how things go. But I mean, Limbaugh is playing awesome, and I think he absolutely should be back. Yeah, I mean, I, I have nothing against signing him to a one-year, two-year kind of deal. That seems fine to me. Uh, I think he's earned it too. Like, I really thought this would be the year that he slowed down. So the fact that he's yeah. still playing at the level he was, pretty good. Has he even been on the injury report the last year and a half? I don't recall a single instance of him being hurt at all, which is incredible. Um, yeah, he knock does have to come back. I'm yeah, knock on wood. I'm surprised they didn't extend him considering his cap hit was like 14 or 12 and a half million dollars or whatever it was this year. Obviously, yeah. it's not like they needed it. They're just sitting around with cap right now. Um, but he should return. There's no reason for him not to, barring an injury. Side note, I do think the Staley injury reports are getting a little bit Belichicky, where he's just like yes. throwing Keenan Allen and Joey Bosa there on a Friday and be like, mm, I don't know, maybe they won't play. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, it's like these players aren't practicing, and then he's like, Oh, I'm hopeful that he's gonna play. It's like, come on, we he's gonna play. Um, the boss man says all three Spider-Man will be in the new one. Uh, and this is my opportunity for my propaganda. Toby McGuire is the best Spider-Man. Thank you. Um, it's not Andrew Garfield. I'll say that. No, it's <laughs> but... not. It, no, it's not. <laughs> it's not bad. I just, it's not Andrew Garfield. Um, well, I mean, yeah, Tobey Maguire didn't let he, his girl die. I think he he was a decent Spider-Man, but his movies weren't very good. Uh, and so that that costs him in the advanced analytics of uh, uh, <laughs> EPA per movie. <laughs> Yeah, you have to ask I, Arjun about that one. Yeah, I think that's a good place to end it. We'll leave it with Alex's uh, <laughs> Toby Maguire propaganda, who I think uh, I think Christian Covington was uh, the one, the Chargers player who said that he agreed with Alex on that one. Yeah. Um, so shout improve out your Covington. run defense, but good take. <laughs> All right. That's going to do it for us today, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. We had some good conversations. Hope you enjoyed. Uh, the midseason awards will be going live on Monday this week after uh, the game. So we'll uh, have a lot of good information and hopefully some uh, film rewatching for that one. Um, so, yeah, that's going to do it for us today. We'll see you next time. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. 
And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.